podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. All right, so I want to invite Marie and Dee to come back uh, forward. And um, let's set this reading up again. Says, I'm going to presume that you didn't get it all the first time. All right, what do we know about the author? What do we know about Paul? What are some things that you know about Paul? He used to be Saul, right? He was born and he was a very, very uh, devoted uh, Jewish man. He was a scholar, uh, a brilliant scholar of the text, and we're told in the scripture that he was even one of these people who, who persecuted the early, um, at that point they were Jews, the early Christians, because they were doing things the wrong way. And so Paul was one of the ones who was seeking to punish the early Christians, and then he has this experience, right? The road to Damascus. What the heck happened to Paul? I don't know. But he has this conversion experience. And all of a sudden, he, he sees something in the way of Jesus that changes his entire life. And so he begins to, to go out and try to tell people about Jesus. And, and, um, and he goes to, to places. He travels all over. And he is very persuasive. He's also a little bit, um, ooh, quarrelsome would be a word I would use. He, he kind of likes to pick fights. So one of the things that happens to Paul is that he, he just gets, he just, he, he endures some really, really brutal things. He gets beat up a lot, physically, uh, the scripture says. But he also, I think, gets beat up inside. And I don't mean to psychologize Paul too much, but this guy doesn't really have a home, if you think about it. He's left his own tribe, his own people, where he comes from. He's told them he doesn't want really much to do with them. But then the people that he wants to be with never quite seem to make him happy, and he never quite gets along with them either. I think Paul endures an incredible amount of what I would call suffering. So when he's writing this letter to the Romans, this is one of the last letters that he writes. And this is some of his, I think, most mature thought. He's really, I think, trying to wrestle with this question among many. But one question he's wrestling with is, how do I balance the great goodness of God with the fact that we still suffer? So thinking about that question, let's listen again uh, to this part of Romans. At the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going Going to to be be revealed revealed to us. The whole creation waits, breathless with anticipation, for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, It was the choice of the one who subjected it. But in the hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning groaning together together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We We ourselves who have the Spirit as the first crop of the harvest also groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We We were were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But But if if we we hope hope for what what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We We don't don't know know what what we we should pray, but the Spirit herself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. So what did you hear? What, what were some of the things you heard in that reading? What stuck out? Was there a word or a phrase that stuck out? Frustration. Labor pains. How many of you have actually had labor pains? Yes? On a scale of 1 to 10? <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing more than 10 fingers. <laughs> okay. Frustration, labor pains. What else did you hear? Hope. Hope comes in there for sure. Waiting. Patience. Grown. Harvest. Yeah, there was this first fruits image. Jason, will you pull up the picture of um, the waiting room? Have you ever heard the expression liminal space? It's kind of a big expression. A liminal space is a space that's neither here nor there. It, It exists almost for the sake of something else. see some kind of nods. So this is a picture of what? A waiting room. How many of you have ever been in a waiting room? A waiting room is a liminal space. It doesn't, it doesn't serve a purpose really in and of itself. You're just there for the sake of some other purpose. So what does it feel like to be in a liminal space? Not good. There's a shaking of a head with that not good. Yeah. What else? Nervous. Yeah, a nerves and anxiety. Anticipation. Unsettled is a word that gets echoed. Boredom. Yeah. Frustration, restless, uncomfortable. Yeah, neither here nor there. Threshold. 
something's about to happen. Or if you've ever read Waiting for Godot, <laughs> maybe not, right? So that's a play, never mind. Um, so, so I think Paul in this, um, and in his own experience, and coming out of his own experience, I think, he is describing the world as a liminal space. The world is kind of a waiting room. So he talks about, um, he talks about a future that is coming, but it's not here yet. And so we are, we sort of wait for it. Does that resonate with anyone's experience? Sometimes. Paul is quite sure that because of God's love, something good is coming. When Paul describes this goodness that's coming, he uses just this amazing sort of language. The creation itself will be set free and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. It's kind of glorious. I love that expression. The glorious freedom is what's coming to you. How many of you experience glorious freedom on a day-in, day-out basis? <laughs> Suzanne's the only one. <laughs> she's, she's in her 90s. <laughs> she, she has a lot. And, 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 so that's interesting, right? <laughs> that's interesting that two of our uh, wisest members experience glorious freedom. But Paul also says that, um, that we can sense what is coming already, that we have something around us, that, that God provides something for us that gives us not only a taste and a sense, but an assurance of what's coming. What is that? What are we provided? The Spirit. The Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from death into life, that same power, that same resurrecting Spirit is where? Barbara just went, it's in you. It's with you. It's for you right now. Right now. And that's our cause for hope. 
So we live with hope. Because God's spirit is now in us, already bearing fruit, already transforming us, already changing the world into that, uh, that, that place of glorious freedom. Uh, let's share this quote, uh, Jason, from um, this really wonderful poet and playwright. You ever heard of this guy, Václav Havel? That's a drawing. That's not his actual picture. Uh, Polish, 20th century. Czech, thank you. That's right. Um, Let's read this quote from Havel. He's talking about hope. He says, the kind of hope I often, by the way, he didn't draw this. This was an artist who helped to illustrate this lovely quote. He says, the kind of hope I often think about, especially in situations that are particularly hopeless, such as prison, I understand above all as a state of mind, not a state of the world. Either we have hope within us or we don't. It is a dimension of the soul. And it's not, hope is not essentially dependent on some particular observation of the world or estimate of the situation. Hope is not prognostication. It is an orientation of the spirit, an orientation of the heart. It transcends the world that is immediately experienced and is anchored somewhere beyond its horizons. I don't think you can explain hope as a mere derivative of some movement or of some favorable signs in the world. I feel that its deepest roots are in the transcendental, just as the roots of human responsibility are. Though, of course, I can't say anything concrete about the transcendental. Hope, in this deep and powerful sense, is not the same as joy that things are going well or willingness to invest in enterprises that show signs of early success. But rather, hope is an ability to work for something because it is good, not just because it stands a chance to succeed. The more unpropitious, that's a big word, the more unpropitious the situation in which we demonstrate hope, the deeper that hope is. Hope is definitely not the same thing as optimism. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. In short, I think that the deepest and most important form of hope 
the only one that can keep us above water and urge us to good works, and the only true source of the breathtaking dimension of the human spirit and its efforts is something we get, as it were, from elsewhere. It is also this hope, above all, which gives us the strength to live and continually to try new things, even in conditions that seem as hopeless as ours do here and now. Let's go back to the waiting room. Oh, that's a good one, too. So Paul says, um, for him, the world is like a waiting room. And he looks around and um, hears people talking and sees what's happening, and he sort of feels like the prognosis is not, uh, is not good. But he also understands there to be this this spirit, this, um, this goodness, this, well, what he calls, uh, what he calls love that comes from God. And it gives him this sense of hope. He ends this chapter uh, by saying, uh, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we live with hope. May this reflection and this time be a blessing to you. Let's sit for a minute in silence.